Nicholas Borners of Capital Inc. And I would like to welcome you to uh, another session, a very interesting panel, which will focus on BDCs, uh, the BDC Roundtable Financing America's Growth. Every year, uh, Keith Bridget and Woods Stiffel, uh, they have been kind uh, to uh, put together this panel and sponsor it. And I would like to thank them very much for uh, working with us, putting together this very, very interesting panel every year. Uh, Alan, thank you for joining us uh, and for moderating. I will let you introduce the panelists. I will only say thank you very much for joining us today. I look forward to a great uh, panel. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Uh, we think we've got a great panel uh, selected. We've got three individuals who are CEOs of publicly traded uh, venture lending BDCs. And interestingly enough, each of them were co-founders. Um, so I'm just going to ask each person to briefly introduce themselves, their organization they're with. Uh, Jim LeBay, I'll start with you. Well, thanks. Um, I think I'm a double co. I'm a co-founder and a co-CEO in my uh, case of a firm called Triple Point Capital. Um, we're headquartered out here on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. Been around since 2005. Regional offices, Boston, New York. And Triple Point is uh, pretty much an asset manager. So we manage um, on balance sheet lending, uh, proprietary private funds. We have two BDCs, a public one, TPVG, and a private one, a GPLP fund and some other vehicles that we manage. Um, at the end of the day, collectively, I think today is about four and a half billion or so. We've committed to 700 or so venture-backed companies at the triple point uh, platform level. Uh, collectively, the co-founder and I, I think it's over 11 billion of uh, venture-backed uh, financing to 2,000 plus uh, companies. And I go back even further, which uh, I'll save everyone from. So end of the day, um, this is a BDC roundtable, and mostly I'll be talking in terms of uh, our public BDC, which is just one portion, though, of this overall triple point platform pretty much uh, a refinement, if you will, of more than 35 years of my waking professional life of doing venture lending. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Rob? Uh, thank you, and uh, uh, my name is Rob Pomeroy. I'm the CEO and, and co-founder of uh, Horizon Technology Finance Corporation. Uh, we commenced, uh, we were formed in 2003 and commenced lending in 2004. Uh, Jim and I go back uh, to the earlier days, and I also will spare you some of those uh, ancient history days. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the asset class. Um, Horizon Technology Finance Corporation is a publicly traded BDC. We're externally managed, uh, which means that the fund uh, is a publicly traded vehicle, and we have a management company that acts as the advisor of that. We also have other funds that we manage on the Horizon platform. Uh, we've had other funds uh, that go back to the beginning of our, um, when we, we formed Horizon, we've been public since 2010. Um, we'll look forward to uh, sharing with you some of the attributes of uh, both the venture lending asset class and model, uh, as well as the benefits of the uh, BDC structure for uh, the vehicle by which we, we finance ourselves. Uh, for this asset class. So I look forward to sharing with you more of that um, as we go through the panel. Thank you. 
Thank you, Rob. Uh, Steve? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so Steve Brown, uh, founder, chairman, and CEO of Trinity Capital Inc., or TRIN on NASDAQ, T-R-I-N. Uh, started the business in 2008, um, and actually prior to that, going all the way back to the early uh, 1990s, I've been in this venture space, started a smaller venture capital fund in Arizona, and I got to know the space, uh, had a little success, and I just loved the debt side of this business, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. I actually started in the venture leasing side, so you're going to hear a little bit about equipment finance as well as venture debt today. I kind of cut my teeth on the venture leasing side in the early 2000s. And then started Trinity in 2008 with a small fund, grew that to five active funds. Uh, by 2019, we had about a half a billion under management. And uh, like my colleagues here, made a decision that we would head towards the public market and the BDC space was the route to go. And obviously there's the opportunity to go external or internal. We made the decision to go internal. So it's a little different. We'll probably talk about that some today. We're an internally managed BDC. We're up to about 700 million in assets now. Uh, can't manage other funds, which is different. Uh, we have, you know, one company and one shareholder base and one class of stock, and uh, the management company or the management team manages that for shareholder value. So we're excited to be a part of this today. Um, we do a little equipment finance, which we'll talk about, a little differentiator, but uh, really excited to be on the uh, panel today with, uh, with my colleagues. <clears throat> Thank you, Steve. Uh, so, Jim, you know, I think some people in the audience, when they hear venture lending, they assume it's just something that started up here in the last couple of years. Um, but obviously, it's been around for an extended period of time. Uh, you know, over the next couple of minutes, can you give us some perspective on the history of venture lending uh, just for the audience here? Well, I don't know how I got picked to be the uh, historian or archivist in this case <laughs> of uh venture lending and um, we talked about ancient history I heard you say Rob uh, and I'm afraid I'll take up the whole 40 minute session here uh, <laughs> on uh, the only thing more colorful might be BDC uh, history itself but um, you know I, I guess the best way to think of this and probably predates a lot of venture lenders and, and I'm afraid folks in the audience potentially is it goes back to the early 80s. And at that point in time, startup companies, venture-backed companies uh, had a lot of kind of loans or equipment leases, which we were doing at that point in time. And you might have six or nine months of cash as a startup company and a lender um, that wanted to provide three or four years of a, a term loan or a lease. Uh, the banks um, absolutely would not do it without at least maybe a 50% deposit, a security deposit, a CD, a letter of credit. And of course, all the entrepreneurs would turn and say, I don't have that kind of cash. How about if I gave you stock instead? Um, so they would have to go out and raise stock for cash. But this concept came up and there were few early firms doing it. I was well, with one of the first that institutionally on a nationwide basis came up with what we call this venture leasing concept at that point in time. And the concept was instead of that cash element being raised through stock, how about if you just issue the stock or warrants and we'll take the risk directly to the lender. Uh, there was a firm, uh, Equitech Financial Group at the time that uh, I was with and um, 
We like to think we were one of the first to do it. There was a, one of the deals I remember was Seek Technology looking for uh, $2 million worth of equipment. They were facing a million dollar uh, CD in order to get it done. And instead we took stock and the rest there was history. There was Link Capital, some others in Chicago all kind of claim around the same time, early eighties. And uh, thus the concept was born uh, just to quickly fast forward. Um, I think since that period of time, there's been some large firms, GE, GATX, uh, Comdisco Ventures, which I had a 17-year run at, which was in many respects thought of at the time, uh, maybe as the 800-pound gorilla, if you will, of this non-bank venture lending space, but a number of different private funds uh, as well doing venture lending. Uh, many of these firms came and went. Uh, there's been one consistent uh, party and all these for the 35 plus years. But um, so today I'd say it, it's a refinement of what's been learned. It was never known as venture lending or venture debt. It used to be called adventure lending. And today I think it's a well accepted part of the financial and capitalization strategy of a lot of um, venture backed firms. Uh, a footnote, I don't consider the commercial banks as parties that do venture lending in my book. I think it's the folks here on the Zoom and the non-banks that really take the riskier form of lending, which is uh, a venture loan or venture lending. Uh, and thus the rates are higher, uh, the warrants are higher, the risk is higher, uh, but this is not something in my book that commercial banks do. Uh, I have thought about writing a book um, and I'll take advance orders if, uh, if there's any interest there um, and happy to talk forever on the history of venture lending, but uh, that's kind of a short capsulized summary. Thank you, Jim. And as, as we think about the competitive landscape of the venture lending industry today, Steve, can you give some context to the participants here on what that looks like, uh, you know, in the marketplace today that all three of you are competing with and competing against? Yeah, sure. And Jim, thanks for that walk down memory lane. That was uh, that was good. Would love to would love to spend more time listening to more of the history there. Um, you made a statement that I agree with a hundred percent. We don't compete with the banks, and that was twenty years ago when I jumped into this business. I never wanted to compete with the banks, and there are the likes of Silicon Valley Bank and Bridge and Comerica and PacWest that sort of focus on this market. They go after the venture back companies. They'll take their deposits. They like to do receivable financing, uh, but they really don't compete directly with us. So I, I agree with that. You, you know, we're in the business. Uh, Horizon's obviously in the business, triple point. Um, and I think it's important to note that there's not a lot of players. There's not a lot of competition in this market because it's not easy to do what we do. And you see capital that comes in and lo loves the yield and goes after it, but it's difficult to compete in this market. And we'll talk a little bit about this. A few other players out there that we see occasionally, and I know that you know Jim and Rob and their companies run into maybe uh, Runway Capital. Oryx has been around and been in the business. They do some, some stuff in the medical uh, space, um, life science. Uh, obviously, Hercules is a larger competitor. They're, they're also an internally managed BDC like we are. I think there's five or six of us on the internal side, and then others sort of in the middle market in the BD space on the external side. 
There's groups like WTI, Western Technology, Inc. They've been around. They typically go in earlier than, than we do, and I think than any other folks on the phone here. And then there's some others that we see occasionally. There's a group called Escalate. Um, there, there's, you know, other sort of specialty lenders floating around like Lighter Capital. But again, I, I want to stress that this business uh, is a great risk return business. I've always believed that. But there are impediments and there are difficulties to get into this business and be successful long term. And I think that's part of one of your topics later that we'll discuss, Al. Um, but there's not been a lot of folks that for a long period of time, you know, have been active in this space. Um, there's also the equipment finance side. Jim mentioned that. I started in the venture leasing business. I know Jim's done some of that in the past. You know, the market sort of moved away from that when there was just a lot of software and not a lot of hardware or capital equipment needs. We've actually seen a resurgence in that when you look at things like ag tech and food tech and frontier tech. And there's a lot of a capital equipment needs that are now emerging. And we don't see many larger players in that space to compete with. We think we think that's more of a fragmented market. And, and from a competitive standpoint, probably less competitive because there's not folks that can write larger checks. Um, but that's also a part of this market that, you know, that we all serve. Um, so, so those are some of the players in the market. I don't know, Al, if you wanted to touch at all or if you're interested in sort of how competitive is it today versus other points in time? I'm not sure if that was part of it. Yeah, so, so I guess I guess I'll ask uh, each of you. I mean, when you go up for, you know, when other panelists or other conferences will talk about middle market lending, you know, they'll be competing against 40, 50 different entities uh, for the same opportunity. Um, you know, when you go up for a situation, you know, ballpark, what are the typical, are you competing against one other party, 10 other parties, 40 other parties, Steve, yeah. you know, how yeah, would you I'll, say? Yeah, I'll start with that. So we don't want to be the only player at the table for sure, but we're typically competing with anywhere from, uh, you know, one or two to three or four uh, competitors, maybe five on yeah. a particular transaction. And you, what happened, just because a market's liquid, like we have today, there's a lot of liquidity in the market, doesn't necessarily mean in the venture debt space that we're going to see a lot of money flooding in and really increase, uh, you know, competition. Again, because there's so many things you have to be good at to be good at this business. And so um, I, I would say in today's market, it's competitive. Uh, I don't know that it's any more competitive or less competitive than we've seen in different cycles, you know, in this business. Uh, I don't know, Rob, Jim, what you guys think about that? Well, I, I guess, go ahead, Rob. No, I was going to say that um, uh, Al asked me to sort of differentiate uh, middle market lending from venture lending. And I think this is one key aspect of it is that um, the, the, I always describe it as it's a business that in order to succeed, you need two things, market knowledge, which means you have to be familiar with the technologies and the companies and the ecosystems of venture capital-backed companies. And then you need market access. And I think this is really important. Market access is the reputation to be able to deliver the venture debt uh, product, which is of great value to our borrowers but not just at the front end when you make the loan, but all the way through the life of the investment because the venture capitalists uh, are giving you a, a lean on their technology and, and their baby that they put a lot of capital in. And they wanna know that the lender that, that they've done this with is gonna work with them 
collaborative over the time. That doesn't mean we're easy or patsies or we roll over, not at all. We're good business people, but we don't um, you know, overreact or knee jerk when plans aren't met. Believe me, in these young companies, plans are not met. They change, they pivot, everything else. So that's one of the fundamental differences. The other big difference between middle market lending and uh, venture lending is that we rely on uh, low loan to value. So in a middle market environment, uh, the companies are raising uh, you know, debt that is 75% against their enterprise value. Combinations of senior secured, uh, revolving credit, uh, subordinated debt and the like. The venture lending model, we're more like down to you know, 15 to 30% loan to value. And that's really important because we're um, meaningful partners providing capital to develop the technology that's much, much less dilutive than taking equity, but it's low enough from our standpoint to be comfortable that we'll be protected in the long-term. So uh, those are the uh, primary, I think, differences between the two. And you know, our collateral is different, our repayment source is different. And I think this is what Steve was saying. You, you can't just come in here with a low cost of funds and take a big mar piece of market share. Or if you do, it won't last very long. Because these loans uh, will hit an inflection point within 12 to 24, 36 months. And that's when the rubber meets the road. I know Jim has excellent relationships as to Steve with the you know, investors that he works with. And it, it's really important. Again, not we, we're, we're not their friend, we're their partner. Jim, yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I guess uh, the only things to add is, is kind of two things when coming up here, but I think certainly venture lending BDCs are a completely different class than and differentiated one than the middle market uh, lending BDCs. And, and there's very few of them. It's a very specialized business. Right. Uh, has very high barriers to entry, and there's huge differentiators between venture lending BDCs and in the middle market, just a different league. But on the competitive aspect within venture lending, uh, I, I certainly would agree to Steve's point. There's very few, uh, I think we're one of the, the few others that do equipment leases as well as equipment loans. Uh, there's a very um, small list there. But the competition, at least for our public BDC, um, is primarily equity. Uh, we have a very narrow focus in terms of the kind of company we'll deal with, the kind of venture backing, uh, kind of stage of the company. And uh, really, there's not much competition at all. I don't want to say there's none, but it's primarily equity in today's market as, as our main competition at triple point venture growth. Um, my colleagues on the phone, they all have great focuses. They tend to be a little bit uh, perhaps different and um, everyone sounds like they're doing very, very well, but uh, competition is not a, a major factor in the venture lending market today, other than equity, in my opinion. Yeah. And, yeah. And so one, when, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, just, just one point on that, just touching on what Jim said. You know, when you're competing with equity, I, I've heard so many times, how do you get the kind of rates and the overall yield that you can get and still have low loan losses and have, you know, good security and, 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 and be able to collect like you do? And, uh, and it's because of the, the dilution that we're saving. It truly equity is the biggest competitor in our business. And when you look at the equity dilution that's saved from the folks that we work with and the founders that we serve, 
the cost of capital is negligible in the end when compared to what they would otherwise lose. It, and that's a really important point. Thank you. And, and Jim, what are the typical terms that the, you would get uh, in terms of asset yield for when you make a, a new investment opportunity in the venture lending space? What are the typical terms? Yeah, so, so to some extent, this is going to be generic. Some will be more triple point specific. But generally, uh, at our public BDC, we look for 10 to 18% yields plus the equity kicker in the form of warrants, which has been a very, very successful thing for our model. And uh, I recommend all venture lenders get uh, warrants, um, which is generally what we strive for. The return, in the, now this is on the public side of our house, uh, what we strive for, which is these later stage um, high growth companies across the board at our platform, the yields tend to be much, much higher for very earlier stage but they're also much, much riskier. And then overall beyond that, they tend to be relatively short terms, I'd say three to four years, uh, typically for sure secured financings. Um, there could be, uh, it's always nice as part of the term, some prepayment fees. Um, it, it, oftentimes uh, there could be some enhancements of, of various stocks, um, uh, possibilities. Um, just trying to think if there's anything else in terms of, that's kind of a broad sweep of the terms. It's yeah. uh, the equity component, the warrants that tend to be uh, the more critical ones. And having done this for way too long, I can tell you within our platform, we did, I forget, uh, all of the debt at YouTube, um, most of the 100, first 150 million plus at Facebook, it goes on and on square and so forth, and those components uh, can more than uh, pay many times over the amount you put uh, to work at the debt. It's just absolutely amazing. So that's a powerful component of venture lending and can more than account for any so-called credit losses. Appreciate that, Jim. And you know, as I think about how people are differentiating themselves, you mentioned equipment finance, um, you know, Steve, you mentioned it as well. What are the typical terms you see in equipment finance, just to kind of give the audience some perspective there? Yeah, so typical terms on equipment finance. Uh, if I, first, I would say it's not like sort of your traditional equipment lessors, where they're sort of going after certain equipment, trying to play the back end for the residual value, fair market values. It's typically not that. It's typically more of a, you know, it, the, 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 the the time frames are 36 to 48 months. You may see something in the 30 month time frame. They're typically fully amortizing, so you're getting off risk quicker. Um, you will get some warrants in that space as well, but typically the back end payments are a little more than you might get on a traditional, you know, venture loan. In the venture loan side, there's a little interest only period followed by amortization. Typically on the equipment side. You know, you have full amortization out of the gate. So it's really a nice mix to a diversified portfolio of equipment loans and venture loans sort of getting off risk quicker. The real dollar is a little less, you know, on the equipment because you're amortizing quicker, but your IRR is typically a little higher. And then you have an asset that you can go after. And so from a collateral perspective, but it's important to note that you're not focused on and dependent upon that equipment to repay you like you might be as a traditional, you know, sort of equipment lessor. We underwrite the entirety of the business, which includes the 
the, the investors around the table, the management team, the market, the product, the technology, all of that goes into the underwriting. And then in addition to that, there's a, there's a piece of equipment. And then, then you have to think about things like how specialized is this equipment? Can you get value from this equipment at the end if something goes wrong? Um, and so, all, you know, all of those things are, are important. Um, but it, it's a it's a really emerging, growing market that we like. There's not a lot of players that are touching it. For cash flow positive companies, there's a lot of competitive forces and a lot of folks that will get out there and do leasing on all types of equipment for cash flow positive companies. For these emerging companies backed by VCs that are yet to be profitable, there's much less competition. And because of the advent of food tech, you know, Impossible Foods was an example in our portfolio. Many have had the Impossible Burger. Our manufacturing equipment was responsible for, you know, making that that plant-based meat. Uh, there's there's Frontier Tech. Uh, you know, there's there's Ag Tech. There's a number of technologies that are emerging where equipment needs are there, and uh, and we're filling those. <clears throat> Very helpful. And, and Rob, your organization, uh, each of you have distinguishing uh, qualities and characteristics. You do some life sciences. How does that fit into your model and how, how should investors think about that? So we are pretty balanced between life science and, and technology. And I, I think that we've been in both of these markets uh, forever back into the 90s. And uh, we, we find the life science market to be um, very uh, knowledge intense and you know requires yet another layer of, of experience and expertise, but also one in which you can get your arms around it pretty well. There, the number of venture peer venture capitalists that uh, support both the drug development and biotechnology part of the life science, as well as those that do medical device. The medical device uh, market probably looks a lot more like what Steve and, and Jim do in terms of these companies will have revenues uh, and, and turn to cash flow positive. The drug development side of life science is really, um, as we say, these companies all have cash flow. It's just very negative. Uh, they're spending a lot of money on research. They're raising a lot of money. But it's important that you understand the clinical trials, the FDA, how it works, uh, when value is created based on moving products through the clinic, having multiple uh, uh, drugs and things under development. But we found it also as one that has accepted um, the venture debt, venture uh, loan product uh, quite well because that arbitrage from uh, your valuation today uh, through and after a clinical trial uh, by using at least a portion of it with, uh, with debt instead of equity can be significant. Uh, we don't have the big name uh, uh, result uh, companies like uh, uh, Facebook and Impossible Burger, but we have companies like Pharmacet and some of the other drug companies that we're very proud of and we've made some money on. Um, we tend to really emphasize uh, the lending part of um, the venture lending model. Uh, I'd like to give that message out that we are, in fact, actually lenders. I know that uh, both both Jim and, and Steve run great shops where the idea really is to uh, be sure you can get your capital back on the loan and then hope that you have some upside over time. Uh, in terms of make one comment on the competitive side, we've also found that uh, in our relatively small club, it's nice to be friends with people like Jim and, and Steve and 
Uh, we partner up quite often on larger deals. Deals are getting bigger. The capital invested gets bigger. And uh, you know that, that's been a good practice for Horizon over all the years to have uh, both uh, funds that we directly manage as well as um, good partnership relationships. But again, life science has been good. The, the um, companies go public during the middle of our uh, financing. That's not an exit. That's just another financing. So you get the benefit of having warrants that are public. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes not so good. But it's a good yeah. been a good market for us. Well, and what we've heard consistently from investors over time when they first start hearing about venture lending, they hear double-digit coupons, asset returns, some warrants. They say, wow, this must be a really risky sector. Your charge-offs must be huge. Um, each of you should just quickly respond uh, however you want to respond. You know, I know all of you have had very good track records. All of you or your public vehicles are trading at a premium to NAV for good reason. They all have dividend yields that you're earning over time of seven to nine percent, depending on which entity and what time period. So those are all great stats. But how's asset quality? Uh, Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, again, this is one of the great things about our asset class is that it performs much better than the perceived. Uh, uh, Steve used the word risk reward. I think we, we benefit from uh, an asset class where there's a lot more perceived risk than actual risk. And our track record has worn that out, uh, borne that out over a long period of time. Uh, our numbers are you know about two and a half billion dollars invested since 2004 uh, and a cumulative loss rate of less than 3%. And as Jim said, we've had warrant gains that have more than offset a good portion of that. And, and that's the model over time. Uh, good earnings potential, uh, that earnings potential of our portfolio uh, is enhanced by some of the characteristics that Jim mentioned, like prepayment pay, um, penalties and end of term payments that get accelerated. So that we enjoy a you know, mid double digit uh, you know, money on money return before you take into account uh, anything that we get from the warrants. Um, so you know, our, our track record is, you know, I, I think is very favorable to any middle market lender over a similar period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Jim? Yeah, um, maybe it's because I've been doing this so long you get jaded, but um, venture lending, has, to me, has proven to be a safer risk than uh, any of the, say, middle market lenders or traditional lending, as well as um, equity for that reason. Uh, at the Triple Point platform, uh, as I've been mentioning, one of the advantages of venture lending is actually the warrant and equity gains, uh, and they can be substantial. We had two companies alone go public last month, uh, Toast and Forge Rock. Uh, I heard Impossible Foods come up. We had an equity position in that one. We had Revolut last month um, raised $800 million, a $33 billion valuation. When you have those kinds of aspects and you know what you're doing in this business, you can pretty much minimize the losses. And so the concept is the gains are on the warranty equity more than offset the losses. And in theory, you can have a zero credit loss, which isn't bad, but there's always minimum and limited losses. Um, on our public BDC side, uh, the, the losses are, are very limited. They're below the numbers uh, of most, if not all, middle market lenders, some of the numbers below uh, what you've been mentioning, Rob. So you just need to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, sure. And Steve, uh, your asset quality yeah. and your historical yeah. track record? Yeah. 
I don't have a lot to add to that. When you're a okay. long-term player in this space and you do it right, you have very low loan losses. And we have experienced the same. They're nominal over, a, you know, since 2008. And our warrant pops have more than offset and net positive, you know, losses in the portfolio. And that's yes. what happens in this business. There's a reason for that, though, Al. I mean, this is, you know, fundamentally we're a short-term solution for a short-term problem, which is dilution, you know, that equity uh, creates. And when, you know, our average life in our portfolio is two and a half years. So when you begin to underwrite and you look at all the aspects of your underwriting, you need to know that that company is fundable for the next two to three years. And if you can get there and you're right in, in making that call, they're going to get another funding, you're going to get off risk, and you're going to get your principal back. And that's why it's that's why you see the good ones have very, very low loan losses. And I love what Jim said. I've debated with middle market guys for 20 years. This is the lowest risk out there. But if you don't know what you're doing, and I'll say this, we maybe got maybe I'm stealing some thunder. A good deal is 1.3x. We put out 10, we get back 13, right? You can't lose 100 cents on the dollar on a deal. You can't do it. And people that don't know what they're doing and they come in and they take big losses don't make it in this business. The good ones don't do that. That makes a lot of sense. And and what I guess I would say, quick, uh, and I'll just ask one of you this. Um, so what's, you know, the Jim, I'll focus on you because you mentioned the number of IPOs. What happens to returns if the IPO market's not so attractive? Um, yeah, yes. So the, the nice beauty of, of venture lending from our perspective is that you can get very attractive returns on the debt service alone. The business is not dependent on equity or warrant uh, returns. It certainly is nice. It's gravy as we've been talking about it and thinking about it, but it can be a very nice, profitable, attractive yielding return business during ups and downs in, let's say, the uh, stock market. Now, having said that, it's interesting. Probably the best times uh, to be writing some of the, the venture loans are when the stock markets may be down to 2008. I could go back Asian flu, all kinds of periods of time. Some of our better deals came out of that. Um, but the, the end of the day, it's nice when there's runs like there are uh, these days. I think the market's five, six, seven years been fairly good but also through many of the downturns and cycles, although companies aren't going public, it's still an attractive time for venture lending. That's very helpful. And, and we've got about five more minutes. So what I'm gonna do is ask each of you to give a response for maybe 60 seconds. All of you have been very complimentary of each other. Uh, all of you have been very focused on the benefit of the industry um, because I firmly believe venture lending has outsized returns compared to a lot of different asset segments within closed-end funds, et cetera. But each of your organizations have maybe one or two or three key uh, distinguishing qual qualities that you think investors should maybe consider as they're thinking about putting dollars to work. And so your comments are not necessarily negative about anybody else, but more about some of the positives of yours. So Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, give a 60-second soundbite uh, about HRCN and why that's an interesting investment opportunity. I'm going to focus on the, the public stock for HRZN uh, yeah. and again, the, the BDC class. I think uh, as an investor in, in uh, yield in investments, I, I think the BDCs in general and the, the uh, venture lenders in particular are very attractive and among those horizon as well. So you're looking for 
uh, consistent dividend coverage. We've earned our dividend consistently over the last three and a half, four years. We've paid the same dividend for four and a half years. This gives the investor a great return, uh, you know, outlook on his cash-on-cash uh, uh, cash, uh, dividend return. We pay a monthly, which a lot of our uh, retail and high net worth people like, 401ks and the like. Um, you have a very established uh, management team that's managed this uh, through several of the cycles. Jim's mentioned them. All three of us have that. Uh, we have, uh, we're diversified by technology and life science. Uh, we are, uh, have offices on the East Coast and West Coast. Uh, we have a great reputation and track record. Everyone here does, but that gives you a seat at the table and a really strong pipeline from which to choose the opportunities that best fit the horizon model. Is that 60 you, seconds? How did I do is. on that? Very well done. Jim, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, gosh, I have to start my timer. Um, I have 58 <laughs> seconds left. but um, Don't worry, I'll give you a hook sign. I'll give you a hook sign. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think end of the day, the, the things to think of most important are going to be the management team, the experience, the track record, uh, very critical and essential. As we talked about this high barriers to entry, and a lot of it is about relationships and having longstanding profitable relationships with venture capitalists is, is one of many things, along with references and a reputation. I think those are very key differentiators. And then beyond that, as pertains to triple point in the public BDC side. There we have a very targeted, narrow focus. We only work with a very short list of the, what we consider the better venture capital investors, targeted uh, technologies, targeted growth stage companies, which have meaningful revenues. And so these are all important things we think as differentiators um, and, and focus is important. And that's at least the focus of our public BDC part of the round table here. I'll stop short of continuing beyond my limit. Thank you, Jim. And Steve, certainly want to close it with you. Uh, uh, 60 seconds on what makes Trinity a unique or a trend, a unique investment opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. So we call it our more than money approach at Trinity. I mean, we have folks in-house at Trinity that have built venture-backed companies. They've raised venture equity. They've utilized venture debt. We've got people that have uh, built technologies and technology-based businesses, patents issued, set up manufacturing plants here and abroad. We understand our customer, we believe, as well as anybody, and that makes a big difference from underwriting through to portfolio management. You know, we're set up to do equipment financing. That's an emerging market. We can do large deals. We think we're a leader in that space right now. Um, culture is super important at Trinity, and I don't have time, and you know I could spend a lot of time on culture, but we have an uncommon care for our people and our partners, and we live that out in many ways, and we attract the best talent, and we retain them as a result of that. Um, at the end of the day, this is not a transactional business, and my colleagues will tell you this is a relationship business, and we are all about people and building relationships. And finally, with the few seconds I have left, uh, we've, we have grown our dividend. We became a publicly listing uh, company. Well, we became a public reporting company two years ago. We started at a 22 cent dividend that has grown to a, we were excited to announce a 33 cent dividend. We've been telling the market we're growing our earnings and our dividend and we're doing that and, as, and we're trading at a buck 14 and a half, which we think there's a lot of upside. So we believe Trinity is a great uh, buy in the market right now. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Nikolaus, I promised we'd be done at uh, 40 minutes after, and I think we're just about there. So 
Thank you, everybody. Nicholas, I turn it over to you. Uh, Alan, spot on. Indeed, uh, it's 240. Uh, thank you very much for putting together this exceptionally powerful and uh, insightful panel. I'd like to thank Steve, Jim, and Rob for a tremendous uh, discussion. And Alan, again, thank you very, very much for uh, your help and support. And I hope to have you all uh, with us again next year and hopefully in person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.